How's everybody this morning? Good. Okay, so if you're new here, this is not our normal setup. And um, my idea was to get like a, or like a rotating platform so I wouldn't have to worry about moving so much and it would just kind of slowly uh, so I could see everybody. But um, usually I'm, I'm over here and uh, we had our worship night Friday and we do it, you know, we set it up like this. And if you didn't make it out to that, it was a really, really good worship night. They're all good, but it's just nice to get uh, a lot of people together worshiping. And um, so we're doing a baptism lesson. We always follow up our worship nights with a baptism lesson. Do this three times a year. I've been doing this for almost 11 years now. It's interesting. Um, Debbie that comes to church here, she's been coming here ever since the beginning. Uh, she says, Corey, I've heard this lesson 30 plus times. And I'm like, well, maybe I should take a vacation that week and you can teach the lesson and, and uh, I can just kind of go do something else. But uh, it's a very, very important lesson, and we're in the book of Matthew right now, so we actually just covered a little bit about baptism, but this is the only reason why we take a break. Uh, we usually go through whole books of the Bible. We'll take a break and do baptism three times a year, and we'll take a break and do vision services, and that's basically it. And the rest of the time, we're just strictly in uh, the Word of God. But here's what I hope to accomplish today. So if you've never heard this lesson, there's kind of a couple of objectives that I like to hit with this. The first one is, a lot of people don't really know what baptism is. They know that it's people getting in a tank of water and being baptized. We know that Christians do it, uh, but a lot of people don't understand why we do it. So my first goal today is to educate maybe some of you on why we do this, what, uh, what it says in the Bible about this, why this is such a large step in the life of a Christian. And so that's kind of my first goal is just to educate people on baptism. My second goal today is that if you are in this room and maybe you were uh, baptized as a child or an infant and it wasn't your decision and, uh, and you wanted to do it as an adult, that maybe you would wanna make that your decision and do that today. Or if you're in this room and you have never been baptized, maybe you love Jesus, you consider Jesus your savior, but you have never taken this step. I, I hope to show you some evidence today as to why this is a very, very monumental step to take and your faith walk, if you will, or your walk with Jesus, okay? That's kind of my goal today. Here's the beautiful thing about today, though. All of us will get a chance to respond. So if you've been baptized and you've heard this lesson 19 times, if you've been coming here for a, a certain amount of time, it's okay. We have communion at the end for everyone to get repentance of sin and take the body and blood of Jesus Christ through communion. Uh, we'll have someone over on this side of the stage of uh, one of our pastors. If you're in this room and you're not a Christian and you just have some questions, right? You're being just inquisitive about this whole thing and, and haven't taken that step yet. We'll have someone that you can answer, uh, uh, you can ask questions to. So everyone in this room will have an opportunity to respond this morning, okay? So we're also going to have the kiss cam running around and put that on the jumbotron, so watch out. Uh, if you're not married, though, just, just don't. Refrain, right? It's not time yet, so. No one laughed at it last night. I don't know why I said it this morning. I shouldn't have. It's a dumb joke. You got the Jumbotron things, you know. We'll periodically play charge just to make sure you guys are awake. Blow a couple of bullhorns. Um, no, that's dumb too. Anyways, let me pray and, uh, and we'll get into this. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Any of the doors, everything will be on the big old screens. Uh, if you have the Experience Community app, everything will be on there as well, okay? So let me pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We just wanna tell you thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the 30 people that got baptized last night at our two services. Lord, thank you for the great worship night we had Friday. Lord, I pray that you just keep your hand on our church this morning. 
Lord, if there's anyone in this room that needs to respond to what we talk about today, I pray that you just encourage them, God, and give them strength, Lord. We pray for every church in our community. We pray for all the great nonprofits that we work with, Lord, and we thank you, God, for all the money that was raised for special kids this month and through our our worship night sales of merchandise, God, and all that money that's gonna go towards that great nonprofit, and we pray that they're blessed by it. Keep your hand on me as I teach today, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we say all these things, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so baptism's not an overtly complicated concept. I'm gonna spend a little bit of time explaining it, but this is kind of baptism in a nutshell. This is where the Bible says we become a new person, a new man, a new woman. This is where the Bible says we're brought to life. And kind of the best example that I've used for I guess about a decade now is the whole wedding ring analogy. The fact that this is not my marriage, it is symbolic of the fact that I am married. Baptism is not your salvation. Baptism is a response to being saved. It's us being obedient. We're saved by grace through faith, and as an obedient follower of Jesus now, we go into the waters of baptism to make a public statement to the world around us that we're taken, right? Not by an earthly husband, but by a heavenly husband. That's kind of like our wedding ring, the whole baptism ceremony. So what baptism does is it identifies us as followers of Jesus. It's kind of the most blatant thing we can do to say to the world around us, I follow Jesus, I've been baptized. So it's also a turning point. This is important. If you become a Christian, or if you're already a Christian in this room, there's a bunch of landmarks in the life of a Christian. When we first realize that Jesus is our savior, right, and we accept that fact, when we repent for our sin, that's a turning point, and when we get into the waters of baptism, that's another turning point. And each one of these steps, this this obedience, brings us closer to God. So this is one of those landmark events in the life of a Christian. So here's where I'm gonna hopefully give you guys some evidence, maybe something to think about if you have not done this, okay? The first piece of of evidence I'm gonna give you is maybe one of the most important ones I'm gonna show you today. It's that Jesus was baptized, and Jesus set the example for us to get baptized. We just covered this a couple of weeks ago in the book of Matthew. Now, when Jesus came onto the scene, baptism was not a part of the whole salvation process. Right, And so Jesus came to change how things were done. Before Jesus came onto the scene, you don't have to do this, but if you were to go into your Old Testament, right, if you're going to the the older part of the Bible, the first half of it, in the Old Testament, in everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus, it goes into all this deep, you can't laugh at that because that makes you an awful person, doesn't it? (laughs) Anyways, um, in the book of Leviticus in particular, it gives us all these very stringent guidelines for how to sacrifice an animal so we cannot be forgiven of sins, but we can have our sins pushed back for a year. So in the Old Testament, the sins were not obliterated. That's why it says in the New Testament that Jesus took all the sins of the past, present, and of the future. What would happen is people would sacrifice an animal, it would push those sins forward for a year, but it didn't take care of those sins. It was almost like a spiritual credit card, if you will. The debt was accumulating and it was just moving the payment forward. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he is going to pave the way for that sin to be forgiven, to be obliterated, to be be taken out. Of course, that was gonna come through the cross, but baptism was very symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection 
of Jesus and of us. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, there was a guy named John the Baptist, and if you've been here for the last month or so, you've heard me talk about John. John was baptizing people day and night, all day long, 100,000 people plus, they think, that John baptized in the Jordan River in just a matter of months. In one of the days when John was doing this, Jesus comes up to the water, he gets into the water, he goes out to where John is. You know, there may be like chest high or waist high in the water. Jesus goes out there and he says to John, I need you to baptize me. Now John, knowing who Jesus was, responded and said, wait a second, I'm not even worthy to take off your shoes, let alone baptize you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus explained to him what we just talked about, the process that I'm gonna come and change the way that things are done. And I'm gonna set the example for all these people who are watching. You know, my buddy Matthew that's recording this, that people need to know what God requires out of us. So John agrees. John says, okay, I'll baptize you. If this is what God the Father wants from us, I will do what you tell me to do. So John baptizes Jesus. It says that the sky opens up, the Holy Spirit comes down, and we hear the voice of God say something very, very important. He said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Why did Jesus bring God great joy in that moment? Because he was obedient. He was doing what the Father told him to do. And the Father wanted him to set the example of baptism. I had a young lady ask me this question last night. She goes, why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't do anything wrong. And I said, well, he didn't get baptized because he had sin. Jesus had no sin. Jesus got baptized to set the example for us, to model obedience to us, to model humility to us. Another interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus will never ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. So he set the example, and now we follow in his footsteps. We also learn that when we're humble and when we do what God tells us to do, when we're baptized, that it brings the Father great joy. Two very important lessons. A very important piece of kind of evidence there for the importance of baptism. Another piece of evidence that is important for baptism is that when we obey God, when we do what we're supposed to do, God honors that. There is an activation that takes place in the life of a Christian when we're obedient to God. Now, a relationship with God is a process. That doesn't mean that there's not a definitive moment when we're saved, right? But after we're saved, we're what's called sanctified, which means we live a life that honors God. God sets us apart to be used by him. It's a process, a lifelong process. And during this process of growing our relationship with God, the Bible talks about a lot of different promises that God has for us, that if we're obedient, these promises are activated in our lives. Now, maybe one of the most important promises in the entire Bible is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it says in the, in the second chapter of Acts, and I'm gonna show you this here in a second, that if we genuinely ask God to forgive us and we walk away from sin, repentance, and if we are obedient and we're baptized in his name as a profession of faith, the Bible says that we are promised an activation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me show you where that is. So if you go back into the New Testament, into the, uh, uh, it is the fifth book of the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the church is birthed in the book of Acts. The first four books of the New Testament are the life of Jesus, and then we see where the church begins in the book of Acts. 
And the way the church began, Jesus had died on the cross, he ascended into heaven, and he told his followers, go in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what that looked like, but about 500 people went up in a big rented apartment building in, in downtown Jerusalem. They were waiting on the Holy Spirit. A lot of people got tired of waiting on the Holy Spirit, so it dwindled down to, to about 120 people who were hanging out in this upper room. They're praying, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Thomas would sneeze, and they're like, oh, no, that was just Thomas. And, and so people, they didn't know what to expect. I just added that in, that's not biblical. But. And so people are waiting for the Holy Spirit. And one day it says in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit came. And not just came, it came like a rushing mighty wind. Filled everyone who was in the room. And it says that they began to speak in unknown tongues, right? Languages that they shouldn't have known. So they pour out onto the street. All the people in Jerusalem, the, the hustle and bustle of a city, right? They're going to work, they're doing their daily chores. All the Christians come out on the street, they're praising God in languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak. And all the people walking by are watching this. It's nine o'clock in the morning. They're like, man, the Christians must be drunk. Now, listen, I find that humorous because uh, just confession time. Before I was a Christian, I've been intoxicated a couple of times. Never spoke like fluent Japanese when I got intoxicated. <laughs> but that's what they came up with, right? That'd be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? But, but they, well, they must be drunk. And Peter heard this and said, no, they're not drunk. And he started to speak to the crowds. And he would say, they're not drunk like you think they are. What is happening is the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Our prophets told us this was going to happen. That's what's taking place. So after he told them about Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the promised Holy Spirit, the crowds actually believed Peter. And they asked him the million dollar question. They said, Peter, what do we do now? And this is a very important response. This is what Peter says. Peter says you need to repent and be baptized, all of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, it's for your kids, it's for as many as the Lord our God shall call. And it said, Peter continued to teach them and testify, and it says those that accepted what he had to say got baptized. That day about 3,000 people got baptized. And so a lot of people that day those who received the message got baptized. Now, why am I bringing this up? I bring it up because so many people are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to be afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. That's a promise that God has given us, that he has sent his comforter, his counselor, and has empowered us. He gives us the fruit of the Holy Spirit that shows the community around us that we follow Christ. He gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit that build our relationship with each other and build our relationship with God. And the Bible says we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in the book of Corinthians, we need not to be ignorant of the Holy Spirit. That means we need to pick up our Bible and read about the Holy Spirit. But when we're obedient to God in repentance and baptism, the Bible says we are promised this power of the Holy Spirit to help us in this life. Okay, so another piece of evidence, and this may be the most blatant one, is Jesus simply tells us to be baptized. Now, I don't know if there's anyone else in this room that struggles with rebellion. I, I'm, I've always been. I'm a youngest, right? Us youngest always struggle with a little bit of rebellion. And so I'm, I'm naturally just someone that kind of bucks up against things, right? If you tell me to go this way, I just kind of want to see if I can go that way. 
Now, when it comes to the word of God, if we're a Christian, even us who are a little naturally rebellious, the biggest part about our walk with God is we have to submit to him. Even if we don't understand everything, even if we don't understand every intricacy of the Bible, we have to know that it's imperative to do what God tells us to do. So I don't know everything about baptism. I'm doing my best. But even though I can't understand every intricacy of baptism, I believe it's very clear that Jesus wants us to baptize people. How do I know that? Well, it says it. At the very end of the book of Matthew that we're studying right now, the tail end of Matthew is, is one of the most important things that the Bible teaches us. As Jesus is ascending into heaven, right? He's going up to heaven. He's gonna send the Holy Spirit, but he hasn't done that yet. Jesus looks at his followers and he says, I want you guys to do three things. I want you to make more disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything that I've taught you, and I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna help you. That's what he tells us to do, three things. Listen, if you ever wonder what the church is supposed to be doing, that's it. We're supposed to be making more followers of Jesus, baptizing them, and teaching them to do everything that the word of God says. The Bible also says that if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. So Jesus said, go baptize, and if we love Jesus, we need to be baptizing people because that's what he told us to do. Now, let me tell you a fun story about this real quick. I, I thought you nine o'clock crowd would really appreciate this story. So the first time I was writing this lesson down, it was about a decade ago. Church was much smaller. It was maybe a couple hundred people at that time, and I didn't have an office, and I would work at Starbucks all day long, which can be quite expensive. You realize I just drank $60 worth of coffee today, and, and so I'm sitting there working at Starbucks, and I'm writing my, my baptism lesson, and one day there were two seminary students sitting right next to me, right? And so I'm sitting there working and working on my baptism lesson, and they look over and they see what I'm working on, and they got their big stack of seminary books, because, you know, you're not going to read all those in one sitting, so I, I imagine there was probably a statement being made there, but big old stack of seminary books, and they look over and they said, what, what are you working on? And I'm like, well, I'm working on a lesson on baptism. And they say, well, we're seminary students. Do you believe baptism's really important? And I'm like, well, Jesus seemed to think it was important, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's... It's pretty important. And I said, you guys don't think it's important? And then they started to tell me all their like, you know, you know, theological training and seminary training. And they're trying to talk me out of the importance of baptism. And I let them do their spiel for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And when they were done, you know, I didn't argue with them much. They were in their early 20s, not married, didn't have a degree, never had a real job, but they knew everything. So I didn't think it was like really worth to like, you know, I, they were much sharper than me. So I just kind of let them keep doing what they were doing. And then at the end of their big spiel, I, I just kind of listened and I nodded my head and I said, I'm just curious, what, what denomination are you guys? And they said, well, we're Baptists. And I, at that point, well, hold on. At that point, the irony was just too thick, right? And so I was just kind of like, hey, guys, I'm gonna drink my ninth cup of coffee and just uh, keep working on this. And that was the last time I saw them, but I, I just thought that was a fun story, so. Here's, here's where I get offended. I get a little offended when people try to tell me to do less for Jesus. Does that make sense? Listen, Jesus pulled me out of a ditch, right? I was suicidal, I was on my third suicide attempt when Jesus Christ saved my soul. And so I get a little offended when people say, well, you don't have to do that much for Jesus. Listen, whether I have to or not, I love Jesus and I'm gonna do everything he wants me to do, right? Does that resonate with anyone else in the room or is that just me? Okay, cool. 
of us that were pulled out of ditches, we have a little bit different of a vantage point, I think, sometimes, right? When we've been saved from much, we're very appreciative of much. Another piece of evidence that we have about baptism, and this may be one of the neatest ones, right? The Christian life is very symbolic of a new start, a fresh start. And baptism is symbolic of a fresh start. Baptism, the reason why we get into a tank of water or a body of water, a river or a pool or whatever it is, is it symbolizes a burial, that we go under the water, which is like dying to our old selves, and then we're pulled up out of the water, which is like resurrection. Now that doesn't mean that we're gonna be perfect when we come out of that water. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy when we come out of that water. Doesn't mean that there's no more temptations or struggles. Those things will still be there. But after our baptism, the Bible says we are new creations. We're no longer slaves to what we used to be. Now we're all born into some kind of struggle, some kind of sin. We're all born into a sinful nature. That's why Jesus says we have to be born a second time a spiritual birth. In fact, there's this great story in the book of John where a very intelligent, rich, powerful man comes up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what do we have to do to go to heaven? And Jesus says, well, I tell you, unless you're born of water, that means a physical birth, and of the spirit, a spiritual birth, you can't go to heaven. And Nicodemus, this man who's blown away by that, he's thinking, well, wait a second, do I have to like go back into my mother and be born again? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have to be born spiritually. You have to be born again spiritually. Paul says this. Are you unaware that those of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, we are raised uh, uh, by the dead and the glory of the Father, we may walk in a new way of life. What that means is, again, it's not that we're perfect, but our old self has been crucified, as the Bible goes on to say. If we've been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will be joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified, that sin's dominion over the body is gone. Let me tell you some bad theology that a lot of Christians have adopted. A lot of Christians walk around saying, man, we're just a bunch of filthy sinners. That is not true. That is not what the Bible says. If you have given your life to Christ and been baptized, the old self is dead. So a bunch of Christians to walk around saying, we're just filthy Christians. Wait a second. Jesus didn't die on a cross so we could live with the same identity we had before we got saved. The Bible says we're more than overcomers. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but now we have a helper. We have an advocate, we have God's grace, and we are freed, as it says, from sin's claims. I'm just a dirty sinner. No, you're not. You have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is not our identity anymore. Now, when we get baptized here, when people get baptized, we pray Jesus's name over them. Now, let me tell you why this is important. I came from a denomination that thought if you didn't say the exact right thing when someone got baptized, that your baptism was no good. Guys, you wanna talk about bad theology, that's real bad theology. So there is no magical formula with baptism. It's not what I or anyone else say when you get in that water, it is the genuineness and the repentance of your heart. That's what makes the difference. There's nothing magical about the words we say. But, let me, do, let me clarify this though. There is something powerful about a believer saying the name of Jesus over you. 
And so that name holds all weight. So if you baptize someone here today, if you have a friend or a relative or a spouse or whatever the case may be, and you have the honor of baptizing them, you don't have to have a bunch of fancy words. You don't have to say a bunch of huge theological statements. If you just say in the name of Jesus Christ, that does everything. That name holds all power. And that's also the identity that we're adopting. That's why we like to say that name. It's because you are taking on the name of Jesus. That's why they call us Christians. In fact, that word literally means little Christs. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, like we're our own gods, but we're emulators. We're little followers of Jesus. That's the identity we're taking on. We live in a culture right now that is obsessed with identity, obsessed with calling ourselves white or black, gay or straight, um, American or Mexican, Republican or Democrat. And we carry all these titles and we put so much stock in our, in, in our identity. And what Paul says is, your identity does not lie in the fact that you're a Jew or a Greek. Your, your identity doesn't lie in the fact that you're a slave or you're free, that you're a man or a woman. Your identity lies in Jesus Christ. And we have this problem in modern day Christianity where we're trying to change everyone's identity, right? We wanna get liberals conservative and we wanna get gay people straight. And what we need to do is we just need to get everyone to Jesus. And Jesus will work on their hearts and Jesus will take care of them, right? And so our identity needs to be found in him. And listen, when we find our identity in him, everything else starts to pan out. We've got to find our identity, though, in Jesus Christ. And so above all things, salvation comes when we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus above gender, above occupation, above nationality, above skin color. That's why when we pray Jesus' name over people, it is always extremely powerful, okay? We love to pray Jesus' name over you. So the big question, right? The one that, that, that always kind of sparks debate and has divided denominations and divided believers is the question of, do I have to get baptized to go to heaven? Do I have to get baptized to go to heaven? Now, I'm not gonna answer that question. It's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? But when we get into the Bible, when we get into the Bible and we see when people give their lives to Jesus, typically in the Bible, three things happen. After someone acknowledges that Jesus is the Savior, the first thing they do is they repent. Now, repentance is not just, man, I slipped up and looked at pornography and I'm, I'm sorry, God. Repentance is not only acknowledging that you've done something wrong, but really feeling pretty awful about it. I've done something against God's commands and will, and we're sorrowful about that. Not just sorry for it, though, we wanna walk away from that. We wanna get away from that sin. That is true repentance. We see that in the Bible a lot. The second response we see is faith in Christ. And you're probably like, wait a second, wouldn't you have faith in Christ before repentance? This is not just the belief that God exists or even the belief that Jesus is the Savior. It says in the book of James that even the devils in hell believe that Jesus is the Savior. They're still in hell. A saving faith is a faith that lives like Jesus is the Savior. That we have the kind of faith that every single day we have a connection with him and a relationship with him and we're dependent on him. There is saving faith, an active faith. And then the last thing that we typically see almost every time someone becomes a Christian in the New Testament is they get baptized. 
And they typically get baptized immediately, a lot of the times. Acts chapter eight, right? Philip and this Ethiopian guy tells this Ethiopian guy the gospel, and this gospel, this Ethiopian guy's looking for water, man. He's looking for somewhere to get baptized, and he gets baptized immediately. But we always see these responses in the New Testament. And so here's my problem with this question of, do I have to do it? Goes back to my, my seminary friends, right? In Starbucks. If we understand just a snippet of how impactful the cross was, listen, if we understand just a little bit of how, how far and how deep God went for us to save our souls, as the book of Romans says, even while we were still sinners, if we understand a little bit of God's grace, for us to look back at that and say, God, what is the bare minimum I can do reveals a much bigger heart issue. Imagine going up to your spouse, right? You just get married, put your rings on, you kiss each other, you're walking out, you're about ready to get in your car and go on your honeymoon and you're like, hey, now that we're married, what's the least I can do to keep our marriage going, right? What's the least I can do? Do we have to keep going on dates? Do we have to talk as much? Do we have to be intimate with each other? Like, what's the bare minimum I can do and you not leave me? Now that's audacious, right? I hope you never, ever, ever do that. It's audacious to think that, that a marriage would exist or, 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 or be healthy. But how often do we do this to God? We get saved, right? And we're like, well, I mean, do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? You know, do I have to go to church every single week? Do I have to get baptized? And if we start asking questions like that, there may be a much bigger issue at hand. So here's my suggestion. I suggest we don't ask questions like that. Do I have to do it? It shows a very shallow faith when we approach God saying, what is the least I have to do? Instead, if we understand that we have been saved by grace, that it was by no work of our own, but by the goodness of God that we are saved, maybe our questions should be more centered around, what else can I do for you, God? And guys, I'm not trying to be sarcastic or a jerk. Getting into a warm body of water and getting dunked in about three minutes uh, is not that big of a deal. If that's the biggest sacrifice you have to make today, man, and here's the other thing, guys. We have baptized at this church probably 4,000 people over the last 11 years. I have never baptized anyone and had them come up out of the water and be like, eh, it was all right. <laughs> it is a wonderful experience. It's beautiful, it is life-changing. It's one of those things you will tell your kids and your grandkids about. It is a huge event in our life and God blesses our obedience for that. So here's the thing today. All of us in this room have an opportunity at some level to respond to the cross. All of us in this room, whether you're a non-believer whether you're a believer that hasn't been baptized or you're a believer that has been baptized, all of us in this room have an opportunity to respond. The first kind of invitation I'm gonna give you guys in this room today, if you are not a Christian in this room and maybe you wanna start your journey today, and maybe starting your journey is just asking some questions, Maybe that's just, you know, just poking and prodding a little bit and saying, man, I want to live a life that's different, but I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to go. I don't know what I believe about all this. I don't have a copy of the scripture or any of that. Listen, if you have any questions like that, 
Pastor Greg, he's walking up here, he's got glasses on, gray shirt. He's our executive pastor. If you have any questions for him, please do not be embarrassed or ashamed to ask this. We're not afraid of questions. The vast majority of us on the church team here, the staff that works here, most of us were not raised in Christian homes. We got into it late in the game. I was 23 when I became a Christian. Nothing wrong with questions, guys. If you have any questions, though, Greg is somewhere in this room. He's right over here if you want to ask him questions. The second part of today that you can respond is through baptism, what I talked about. Now listen, if you are in this room and you are a Christian, you consider yourself a Christian, if you have not taken this step, I simply want to ask you why. Why have you not done this yet? I think I've showed you some good evidence in the Bible. Jesus has done it. Jesus told us to do it. It's a very positive, life-changing event. It makes God the Father proud. I wanna ask you, why have you not taken this step? If you pray about it here in a minute and you decide you wanna do this, all you gotta do is go through these back doors right here. We have clothes for you. We'll get your information so we can just stay in touch with you. We're not gonna bother you or spam you or show up at your house late at night. We're not gonna do any of those things but we're gonna keep in touch with you so you don't slip through the cracks. You can come over here, we'll pray with you. We have two tanks of water, the water is warm. I'll baptize you, anyone on staff will baptize you, any of your friends, family, whoever you want. We're, we're fine with anyone baptizing anybody. And you can go back there and you can get baptized and I promise you, you will not regret it, promise you. The third way we have to respond, for those of you in the room who've heard this lesson dozens of times, we have communion all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. We do this at all four services. We've been doing this for 11 years, communion. Never missed a service. This is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is the bread and the wine that symbolize, it helps us remember that even when we were at our worst, Jesus Christ loved us and died for us. Listen, guys, if you're in this room, I hope this never becomes something mundane for you. When we take that body and blood of Jesus that should be a very clear reminder of how close we should be with God, how much he loves us. And the only thing we have to do before we take communion is we have to ask God to forgive us of our sins. I also wanna encourage you, all the baptisms will be on the screen. So if you get communion and you're not getting baptized or don't even know anyone who's getting baptized, the people who do get baptized, guys, that is a celebration. These are more people joining the family of God. It's kinda like going to the movie theater, right? You can sit. You can, you even have refreshments. That's a terrible way to say it. But you, you, and you can watch the, God forgive me for that. Don't say that at the leaven, Corey. Lord. But you can sit and you can celebrate and enjoy the fact that people are joining the family of God. That's a beautiful thing. Cheer for them, clap for them, give them a hug when they, you know, when they come out and, and, and uh, after they've been baptized. So please, we invite you to stay and, and, and participate, okay? Let me pray for you guys, all right? Father, Lord, I love you. Lord, if there is anyone in this room who is not a Christian, I imagine there are, God, I pray, Lord, that you just give them the courage to ask questions. Lord, your word says that if people will seek, they will find, and we believe that. So if there's anyone in this room that is inquisitive, Lord, they're looking for the truth, God, please give them the courage to, to reach out to us. If there's anyone in this room that has not been baptized, God, they have not taken this public profession of faith, I pray, Lord, that you give them the courage to do it, 
Maybe they've heard this lesson five times and maybe today is the day. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who not only needs to take communion, maybe they need to repent. Maybe they need to clear their heart, God. Father, I pray that they do that, but I also pray that they take that communion and they really meditate on how big of a deal that is. That you're our savior, that you loved us, that you gave your body and shed your blood for us. Lord, I love this church, I love this church. I love them, God, this is my family, these are my brothers, my sisters. I pray that you keep your hand on us, God. Guide us and lead us and keep us strong, Lord. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. However you choose to respond this morning, you guys are welcome to do that. Thank you so much.